Again, happy Mother's Day. It's wonderful that we're celebrating Mother's Day. We are, uh, I'm going to be kind of uh, landing today's message uh, talking about a mother in Scripture. And so we'll get there. But uh, I'm, I'm starting a new series today called Faith Forward. Faith Forward. How many of you know it takes faith to be a parent? Can I get an Amen. Amen. There's lots of examples of that. We'll look at them in a few minutes. Uh, uh, Matt, Sampson, and I were away this week at the FCA convention in uh, Vancouver. It was probably the best convention that we've had as a fellowship in uh, many years. Very powerful. Our, our, our leadership is moving in a very powerful and good direction uh, for our fellowship, and so it was uh, just a great time to be together with pastors from all over Canada, there was 220 pastors present, uh, and uh, that's a great showing of uh, leaders. You're part of something bigger. How many of you know that? And that's amazing, and we're very thankful for that. And again, Heritage Night was wonderful last night, so uh, just thank you for all the people that pulled that off and pulled that together. Well, how important is faith? How important is faith? You're thinking faith forward. It doesn't sound like a very interesting or compelling uh, series that I should pay attention to. Well, I think you should because I'm going to tell you why. For about eight weeks, we're going to be looking at this, and uh, I think every single week something else is going to impact your heart and your life. How important is faith? How many of you know you are saved by grace through faith? You're actually saved because of faith. You're saved because of the grace of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done, and putting your trust in that for you on your behalf. We receive all the promises of God by faith. That's what the Word of God teaches us in 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. That's the first one we talked about. We receive the promises of God. No matter how many promises there are, they are yes and they are amen in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 tells us the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you know what that means, that you're a co-heir with Christ? It means that everything Christ has accomplished is yours. That's what that means. Now how many of you know, in order to receive that, in order to understand that, you're going to have to have faith? Because that just seems overwhelming. Because think about the things Jesus has accomplished. The forgiveness of sins. The restoration of relationship with God. The healing from sickness and disease. But also walking through pain and suffering. He's given us grace for that as well. Freedom from fear. Deliverance from bondage. The power to move from a poverty spirit to a prosperous spirit in every area of your life comes through faith. The Bible actually tells us that we live the abundant life because of faith. Listen to Romans 1.17. This good news tells us how God makes all of us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. As scripture says, it is through faith that the righteous person, person has life. From faith to faith, you gain life and you grow in life. So faith becomes very important. We overcome the world through our faith. Listen to this. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. 1 John 5, verse 4. How many of you know you bring pleasure to God because of faith? That one alone is actually one of the cooler ones to me. That you bring pleasure to God when you trust him. And so faith becomes this incredibly important thing in your life and in my life. Now, understand something, guys. Faith uh, is moving our eyes off of this kingdom and onto the next. Because you need to understand something. If this is how important faith is, then what's the problem with faith? Why are we not having faith? Well, here's the reason. Hebrews 11 says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Do you understand that in order to have faith, you have to take your eyes off of what you see in the, in the, the reality right in front of you and begin to see the supernatural uh, accomplishments of Christ? You begin to see through the eyes and the perspective of the kingdom of God rather than the kingdoms of this world. And how many of you know all day long, you and I are inundated by looking at the 
kingdoms of this world. We look at the world continually and the world's ways of doing things. But as believers, as those who trust in God, we need to learn to somehow find how to take our faith off of the here and now and begin to see a kingdom that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Well, that becomes interesting though, doesn't it? That becomes interesting. Do you know why you worship? We're going to talk about this one week, by the way, during this series. You worship because you're exercising your faith muscles. Worship pulls your eyes off of your problems, pulls your eyes off of yourself, and puts them onto God. That's the purpose of worship. It's to get you to go, okay, you know what? My week's been crazy, but I'm here now. God, I know you're here. I need to see you. We're going to look at that as we go forward. See, when we see God's kingdom, guys, it's not only looking at life through a different lens. It's actually looking at life through a different reality. Do you know there's a reality that goes around us and in us and through us and in this world that is more real than the real world that you see? You say, how can you say that? Because it's an eternal kingdom. This is a temporal kingdom. Everything you see here and now is temporal. Your health is temporal. The amount of years that you have on this planet is temporal. All this stuff is temporal. Everything you have is temporal. But the kingdom of God is eternal. It's actually more real than everything we cling to in this world The truth is quite staggering. It's seeing life from God's perspective, moving forward with that vision clearly in our mind, our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. Let me tell you how uh, critical faith is. Here's a few scriptures just for you to start to get your head wrapped around how critical faith is. Here's what the truth of the Bible says. Did you know the Bible says that you are already seated with Christ in heavenly places? You're already there. You are in Christ. So much of the New Testament celebrates this phrase, in Christ, and what that means. It means you're seated in the position of authority and power and presence of God always. You're like, God, where are you? When you ask that question, you need to pause and say, oh, yeah, you're right here. Oh, yeah, I'm right with you right now. You say, well, Pastor Greg, that doesn't make sense to me. I understand because we need to start moving our eyes off of this world and really what is happening in the kingdom in the next the Bible says this, in reality, that here's the reality of faith. How many of you know that you have died with Christ? Let me read it to you. Galatians 1.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by, in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me himself for me. Now listen to me, listen very carefully. Why is it critical that I have died and that Christ is in me and uh, that I've been resurrected to new life in Christ and that's where life really is? I'm going to tell you a little secret about one of the things the church and church people have done wrong for a long time. Ready for this? We try and bring life to something that is dead. We do it all the time. We look at our lives and we think, well, I I have to do better. I have to do more. I, 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 I. And we try to fix ourselves without understanding that we've come into a partnership and a power with God. It's the only way that you can be transformed in your life, but yet we continually try to turn back inward as the solution. That's religion and it's death. We were doing devotions the other day, and it was interesting. Our devotions always give me little, little nuggets. By the way, you're invited every morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, to come for prayer and devotions. Little nuggets. Here's the nugget. The angels come along, and um, Jesus is crucified. He died. He was buried in the, in the borrowed tomb. And the women come by, the Marys, all the women come by to see, uh, you know, the, to anoint Jesus' body, uh, you know, in burial. That's what they used to do. And uh, they go there, and he's not there. And they're confused. But the angels said these words, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And it was just like the Lord just spoke to me and said, Greg, that's what the church does. They keep looking for the living among the dead. They try and fix themselves. They try to change themselves. They try to do all this stuff themselves. They have not tapped into the resources and the power and the presence of faith in their lives. Wow. 
You know, the Bible says by faith that the old is gone and that the new is here. Amen. He says, if therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, the new creation has come. The old is dead. The old is gone. It's buried. The new is now here. You and I need to start looking from eyes of faith. And we need to understand what that means, and we need to move forward from that point. And that's really what faith forward means, to put my trust in God, to begin to see a kingdom that God has created and brought into my life and surrounding my life and within me and within those around me. And together, I'm going to move forward in faith. And that word forward just means the direction that you're going. Very simple. So how many of you know you can lead your life based on the vision of this world or you can lead your life based on the vision of the kingdom of God. And you can move forward based on one of those two things. Just understand that. Every day, you and I have a choice. What is propelling my vision? Which way am I heading in my life? Am I going to follow God's ways, or am I going to follow my ways and the world's ways? Well, let's pray as we go forward and look at this today. I'm going to look at it from a perspective to start off the series on a thing called authority and submission. Because they're the keys of faith. Let's pray. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> Holy Spirit, unpack these truths. There's some deep, deep, beautiful truths for our lives here. So I pray for the power to preach your word today with authority. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you today. Oh God, come and teach us how to live in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I said it was a, we're going to look at authority and submission. This is all very simple. You guys understand authority. Authority is the right and the power to rule. And the word dominion is just another word for kingdom, is exercising of that right and authority to rule in the realm that you have been given authority in. How many of you know that every single one of you in this room has a place where God has called you to exercise authority? Every person. Every human being. Now let me put it another way. Every human being has a kingdom. That's the king's domain. And they are to be kings of things like over their own life. People are to rule over their lives. They're to rule over their possessions. They're to rule over themselves. Uh, parents are to rule, listen to me, over their home. That's part of the dominion that you've been given, right? Managers over employees and resources, Owners over managers, labor laws over owners. Do you understand this whole realm of submission and authority, submission and authority, it's always, it's all weaved in and out of our world today. The key is this, every single one of us has this authority, but we're to exercise that authority in God's way. That's what God wants. Well, what's God's way of exercising authority? You know that you're, you are to be fruitful you are to multiply. You are to be blessed in your life. You are to be a blessing. But the Bible says this, that God gave us and created us to be fruitful and to multiply and to exercise his dominion and authority in this world, listen to this, for the good of mankind and for the glory of God. All of you have been given authority and you're to exercise that authority for the good of mankind and for the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? There's a word in the Bible, and it's a Greek word. It's a word metron. It's only, it's only written 12 times in the New Testament. And it's the word measure. Or it's the word basically describing uh, this is your sphere of influence. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to illustrate it. So it says in uh, Romans 12, 3, that, uh, you know, don't think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. That's the word metron, measure. 
with the metron, God has given you a sphere of influence, a realm of influence in your life, and you're to exercise faith in that area. Here's one even more clear. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 10, 13. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits. We'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that includes also you. You see, he's talking about the sphere, the metron. This church has a metron. You as individuals have a metron. You have a sphere and a place where God is calling you, listen, to exercise authority. You're to exercise the authority that God has given you. Even in your business, even if you're a worker, I'm going to tell you, even if you work for somebody, you don't own a business, it doesn't matter. You've been given a sphere of influence. And if you will exercise that influence for the good of your company and for the glory of God, I'm telling you, God will bless you. It's actually true. I can tell you so many times, even in my own life, where God has said, if you will go in and serve your company, not badmouth your boss, not say negative things, but you will be a servant in that place, I will lift you up and exalt you because I've given you a measure, I've given you a metron of authority, Greg. And it's an amazing thing when you do that. God blesses you. But here's the problem. How many of you know there's been an abuse of authority in our world. Hasn't there been an abuse, even men over women at times? Hasn't there been abuse of authority, the taking advantage of one another? Listen to me. This is one of the things I think we do wrong in our whole world. It's that I exercise my authority over you so that you will serve me for my good. That's our world in many places. Many places people are like, I'm going to control your life so that your life is more of a blessing to me instead of serving you and supporting you and loving you. Now, I'm taking you down a real trail here, so stay with me, everybody. You've been given this realm of authority to exercise for the good of mankind and for the glory of God. We're given this authority not to control each other, but to empower each other and to lift each other up. And I'm going to tell you, you can see abuse of authority in every single realm of this world. You can see it in education. You can see it in churches. You can see it in businesses. You can see it in families. You can see it. You go down the whole list. Are you following me? But you can also see in all of those things I just mentioned where the exercising of authority is done to the glory of God. I've said this to you in the past. I've said, you know, one of the things I've noticed about businessmen that are successful, about uh, uh, educators that are successful, about people in every realm of life that are successful, they approach their position from a position of being a servant. That's how they exercise their authority. Did not Jesus exercise his authority that way? Amen? Did not the Bible say that, you know, though you know, he had come from God and that he knew that every, you know, he was returning to God and he knew, listen to me, he came from God, worshiped in eternity past. He had come down to earth knowing that he was going to return to the Father and the Father had placed all authority underneath him, within him, through him. And then what does he do? He gets up, he strips off his outer robe and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And he says, I am among you as one who serves. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He who sustained the world by the words that he spoke, who created and sustains all life, came as a servant. The ultimate use of authority and example of authority. So what's the difference between God's ways of using authority and man's ways? And that's the second thought. That's understanding submission. Submission. You've heard me say this before. Submission means to, the word sub means to subordinate or place oneself under to support and serve. And the word mission is a specific task with which person or group is charged. So submission is to support and serve someone in their God-given assignment. Now I want you to pause on that thought for a minute because isn't that a lot like the definition of authority in the kingdom? 
isn't submission and authority kind of really very similar? Like if I'm, if I'm an authority, my job is to lift you up, to support you, to come underneath you and say, I believe in you and I bless you and to see you prosper in whatever God has called you to do. Why do we get involved in the Jessica Martell run? Why do we help with uh, the different parachurch organizations that we're part of? Why do we do missions? We are coming in to support the mission of God. That's why we do that, you guys. This is why we exist. It's our authority is used to exercise, to lift other people up. So they might accomplish what God has called them to do. See, biblical submission, guys, is not a slave term. It's actually a relational term. It's a relational term. How many of you have ever heard of bond servants in the Bible? So a bond servant and I won't go into the lengthy detailed story, but a bond servant is someone who has been freed by their master, but when they do, and I don't understand the significance totally, but they'll, what they'll do is they'll take their ear and they pierce it on the doorpost of their master's house, signifying that they are now going to be a bond servant, that they have chosen because they've been so treated so well, though they've been freed, they now choose to say, I'm entering into a slavery of love. I don't want to leave. You know, that's what we're called to be as Christians, is bond servants. Christ has set us free, but I'm going to tell you something. You have authority either to leave and do your own thing, or you have authority to turn around and submit that back to God. That's where faith comes in. Wow. Because we have been given authority by God, every one of us has a mission from God. Every one of us has a significant assignment from God. You know, submission is a beautiful thing because it really recognizes and it comes from the heart of one who recognizes and supports God's order of doing things. Now, all of the, what I just said was a setup for you to understand and to see this lived out because the best way to understand how submission and authority works is now to look at two examples from the Bible. Let's look at the first one, the Roman centurion. I'm going to read this portion of Scripture. You can follow along with me. When Jesus had finished saying this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master highly valued was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. When the men had been sent, returned to the house and found the servant well. Did you catch... Faith, authority, and submission in that passage. Did you see any of it as I was talking? You see, the centurion, guys, the centurion had a metron, a realm of authority. And how did he exercise that authority? Let's look at that. He exercises authority out of love and service. Right? He had, he, had, he, had this, he had this servant that was sick and dying, and he, the Bible says he loved the servant, and he wanted to do whatever he could do. So what did he do? He cries out. He reaches out to Jesus. Do you understand? He is exercising his authority. He's not saying, well, that servant's about to die. I, I better go find another good one. He was really good. No, no, no. He's like, I'm going to do whatever I can do to love this servant. He was exercising his authority in love and service. Did you catch that he built the Jewish people their place of worship? Listen to this word, the word from the Jews. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation 
and has built our synagogue. Do you see how he's exercising his authority? Are you catching how he's exercising authority here? He's exercising authority by caring and loving those that are under his dominion, under his metron. He's exercising authority by recognizing God's blessing on the Jewish people and saying, I'm going to support this and I'm going to help them build their, their synagogue. Incredible exercising of authority. Here's the second thing I want you to catch about how he uses his authority. He submitted to the process of God's authority. Do you understand? This guy got authority, so then therefore he got submission, and therefore he got faith. Look what he does. He recognizes the order. Are you following me? He recognizes the positions of authority. He recognizes the Jewish leaders as being those that could connect to Jesus, the source of all life that he needed for his servant. He doesn't even go himself. Do you know what he does? He approaches the Jewish leaders. And he says, guys, I, I really need you. If you could, would you now go and would you call Jesus to come and heal my servant? And look at how they plead with Jesus. Are you following me? This guy loves our nation. He loves our people. He's using the authority that God has given him for the exercising of the good of mankind and for the service of others. Jesus, would you go to him and heal his servant? Of course, you know the story. He comes. Jesus is on his way. He sends crazy. He sends friends and says, I don't even need you to come. I don't even need you to come. I'm a man under authority, and I have those that are under me. I, I know what authority is all about. I know that if I say to this one, go, he'll go. And if I say to this one, do this, he'll do it. And I know what it means. So just say the word and it'll be done. And this is one of the two times in Scripture where the Bible says that Jesus marveled. Do you know everybody marvels at Jesus? But this is one time. In other words, what I'm telling you is you should pay attention to this story. <laughs> this one made Jesus go, Hold up, hold up, hold up, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you guys catch what just happened here? This guy exercised faith, trust in me, trust in the kingdom. He understands authority. He understands submission. And God blessed him. You say, well, did he, you know, did he buy a miracle, Pastor Greg? No, 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 no. But even in his finances, listen to me, church, even in his finances, he put God's method first. He blessed the house of God. He was obedient even to that. And by, listen, by exercising his authority correctly, this is where this gets really cool. He actually then is invited into God's sphere of authority. When you take what God has given you, church, in every area of your life and exercise authority correctly over those things, you are now invited to come into God's sphere of authority. That's what faith allows you to do. What's God's sphere of authority? Here it is. Another scripture that uses the word metron. John 3.34. I don't have these on your verses, but you'll hear it now. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. That word limit is metron. Do you see what he's saying? On Jesus, there is a sphere and authority that is without limit. And when you and I begin to exercise our authority in our areas of life, we are then invited into the metron of Jesus. And at times, you and I, how many of you know you need to tap into what Jesus can do that you can't do? How many know that happens every day? That every day, Greg Fraser needs to go to God and say, God, I, I, this is bigger than me. I need, I need to tap into No problem. No problem. Why? Because I'm operating in authority and submission, not perfectly, 
but as best as I can. And when I fail, I just say, God, please forgive me and help me. By serving those in our Metron, we gain access to their Metron, but we also gain access to God's Metron. Do you ever wonder about the scripture that says, he who serves a prophet gains a prophet's reward? Do you know what that means? It's really simple. If I serve a prophet, if I come underneath and support them and submit to them and build them up and hold them up and lift them up and help them to accomplish what they're called to accomplish, I actually get their blessing as well. That works in every realm of life. Do you understand that? If I will do that with my boss, I get a blessing that way. If I will do that with my neighbor, I get a blessing that way. This is, this is such a principle, such an incredible principle of Scripture. Submission and authority. What about the second example? Mother Mary. This is for you moms and dads. I just want to go through these and then jump on the last one. Mary's had this incredible, amazing understanding of faith and authority and submission in her life. Think about her life. Even from the moment of the conception of Jesus... The angel of the Lord comes to her and says, You've been highly, you're highly favored by God. You're going to have a son, and uh, he's going to be great. He's going to be the savior of all mankind. And she's like, well, you know, I haven't been with a man. How is that even possible? And he says, the Lord God Almighty is going to come, you know, he's going to overshadow you, and you're going to be, give birth to this son. And listen to her response. Her response is this, Luke 1.35. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, May your word come to me and be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Even in conception, how many know she was submissive? She said, Lord, okay, I'm in. Whatever you want to do with my life, I, I, I don't fight you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in submission to you. How about pregnancy and birth? How did that go for her? I mean, we've said this before. You know, you think she would be on easy street. She's carrying the Messiah, you think she'd be wined and dined in the high palaces, would be opened the doors of be our guest, be our guest. No, that's not what happens. She comes in and follow me. How many, oh, yeah, let's check this out. How many of you know in carrying Jesus, she carried shame? Because I don't care what you say to me. If you come to me as a teenage pregnant girl, unmarried, and say it's, it's divinely happening. i never been with a man. How many of you know she carried a lot of shame? How many know Joseph carried a lot of shame? How many of you know you carry shame sometimes for bearing Jesus? That's true, you guys. But what are you going to do? Well, she submitted. She went to the place. There was no room for them in the inn. So in a stable, they had to give birth to Jesus. We see this submission even in her pregnancy and birth. How about Jesus' adolescence at the temple? He's 12 years old. He goes missing. You ever had to trust God when your trial, child is moving a little bit more away from you and, more, and less dependent upon you? How many of us what adolescence is? Parents? Your son, your daughter is suddenly like, how many of you ever figured that out? I figured that out with my kids. I, I'll never forget the time. My wife is way better in, in, instinctively than I am. Where I was trying to control Michaela... Because I could see she was, you know, if you go that way, that's wrong. I mean, and we prayed a really dumb prayer over Michaela when we were kid, when we were pregnant with her. God have mercy on us for ever praying this prayer, but it's been a great prayer as well. Here's the prayer: We said, Lord, give her such a strong will so she will never submit to the things of this world. We didn't quite comprehend the end game of that prayer <laughs> that she can dig her feet in. So when she turned into adolescence, I had to change the way I parented her or lose her. A little secret there for you. 
You know the one Jesus has lost since at the temple. And he goes and he's missing for three days. He's with his family. They're all partying, thinking he's with them. He's not. They go searching for him. They go back to Jerusalem. And thinking like adult parents would, where would this kid be? They're thinking about the skateboard park in Jerusalem. They're thinking about all the places that Jesus would be. For three days they search for him. It never dawns on them that he's at the temple. He's at church. <laughs> Let's go to the church. Maybe they'll pray for us. There's Jesus sitting and listening to the elders teach, and they're marveled at his answers. And Mary loses it. Like, I mean, the scripture's really polite. But she's like, why have you treated us like this? And I love Jesus' response. You know, why were you searching for me? Don't you know that I have to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, this is really cool. A Jewish person became an adult, beginning their adult journey at 12 years old, 13 years old. This is kind of like what they later called a bar mitzvah, where the father basically places his hand a blessing on the son. This was Jesus' bar mitzvah. I had to be here, mom. I had to be here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It was his bar mitzvah. The father was blessing him for the ministry that was going to come and his role in moving into adulthood. Parents, you need to get this. Are you following me? Submission. Authority. What about when Jesus moved into his adulthood and into his ministry? And then they're going to him and the mom, Mary's like, I need to spend time. I need to see Jesus. He's becoming popular now. Throngs of people are gathered around him. And the Mary and her sons and daughters go to Jesus to spend time. Jesus, we need to get to you. They think he's going crazy. They're actually coming to pull him out of this situation and because they hear all these things about him. And, and, he, and what does Jesus do? He says, when he hears his mom and his brothers and sisters are there, he says, who are my mom? Who is my mom? Who are my brothers and my sisters? It are those who are doing the will of God. And he doesn't go see his mom. Do you ever have your kids come to a point where they're moving into adulthood and you're like, you're trying to control them? And it doesn't really work because God's calling them into something new, a new stage in their life. And what does it require of you moms? Submission. Trust God. Move forward. How about Mary at Jesus' crucifixion? This is the hardest of all moments of submission. Mary's there and other women are there. Isn't it amazing how the women are always the ones who respond first to spiritual moments? That's an interesting study in Scripture because they get submission better than men. Mary at the crucifixion. Listen to me, parents. Here it is. Trusting God even through the pain that your children go through. How many times have you wanted to rescue your kids? How many times have you done it and it kind of blows up on you? And then how many times have you gone through that pain of letting them go and letting them learn, letting them go through it? My son's getting married next week. He's 20. <laughs> He's marrying a girl who's 20. They're both going to be turning 21 right away. How many of you know there's some things they're going to learn? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> and that's okay. That's part of our letting go. When Mama, Mama Betty had to let go of Mitch, when Mitch started moving his bags out of the house, all of a sudden I see her, she's got tears streaming down her face. I'm like, what is going on? I, th this room, I've got plans for this room, Betty. <laughs> this is really hard. Oh, yeah, okay. Of course it is. Do you understand? It's all moments of understanding authority and submission and then bringing our kids to God in faith and saying, Lord, I trust them to you. What does this teach us about how faith works? I love this last one. When you live in submission and authority, 
you then get to tap into Jesus' realm of authority. Remember the story of turning water into wine? Sorry for all the ladies that are crying right now. John chapter 2, listen to this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan and Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus' disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I love this response. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come, Jesus said. Now, how do you think Jesus said those words? Woman! Do you think that's what he said? Or did he say it with a little smirk on his face? Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. However he said it, it triggered Mary to say, I'm going to press him now. Look at what she says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so he says, go and get these big gallon drums. Like he's, Jesus, when Jesus gives wine for a party, it's not just a little, here's a cup for the, it's like 30 gallon drums and he fills them with water and he says, now take this cup and dip it in the water and take it to the master ceremonies. Don't tell him where it came from and watch him drink it. As he drinks it, the water turns to wine and the guy freaks out. Wow, usually people bring out the best wine when everybody's had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What happened there, guys? Mary tapped into Jesus's metron. He tapped into Jesus, she tapped into Jesus's realm of authority, which is measureless. <laughs> and, and so you and I, we're, we're building a church right now. You know, one of the things that we know as leaders, I'm going to tell you if you don't know this, this is bigger than us. This requires us to move from our metron. And I'm going to tell you, I, I will weep as I tell you this. I've never in my life worked with a group of leaders like I work with in this church. They are amazing human beings. They are servants of God who have poured their lives into building this church, building this school, who have sacrificed again and again and again. The men and the women on your leadership team are an amazing example to me of those who've operated in their metron. And now we're facing something in our church that is bigger than us. And I'm going to tell you, for all of us here, we need to tap into Jesus' metron. <laughs> and we have a right to go there. And we go there through faith. What does it teach us about faith? It's about choosing God's ways over the world's ways. You need to shift your vision and your priority from this world, church. So do I, every day. When it comes to the way you live in your relationships, when it comes to the way you operate in your finances, every part of your life, God is wanting to partner with you. Which is the second thought. It's about partnership with God. Exercising authority and being in submission, listen very carefully to this statement, because this blew me away doesn't mean we do nothing. It means we understand how to use our God-given authority to serve others in divine enablement and partnership with God. Can I tell you something about faith, church? Why this series is called Faith Forward? It requires movement. There's no such thing as I'm not doing anything until God changes this. Now, there's something you can do. You can pray. There's always movement. There's always movement. What freaked me out about this as I was preparing this is God is like, God was telling me, saying, Greg, I have given you a realm of authority and I'm not, I'm, all I'm offering you is to partner with you as you exercise that authority. I'm not going to take over. It'd be so much better if you took over, Lord. 
so much bigger than me. Yep, but I will be with you as you exercise your authority. See, that's the kingdom. This is the invitation of the kingdom, you guys, to do life with God. Wow. Will I do life with God in my workplace? Will I do life with God in my relationships? Will I do life with God in my own personal health? Will I do life with God? Will I act upon the, what the Lord is revealing to me in the moment and I will go forward in faith when, or will I just keep moving toward the world? It's a choice every day. Will I enter into partnership with God or stay in partnership with the world? See, one of the keys of understanding faith, church, and a faith-forward life is that we are always in the leadership of our own lives. That's an unbelievable statement I just made. You're actually in charge of your own life. What submission is, is inviting God into partner with you. That's what submission is. And when he gives you advice, in that sense, he becomes the leader. You let him take the lead because you follow his advice. Does that make sense? But you still have to move. You still have to do it. Listen to this. Being born again is just an invitation into faith. Being a disciple is operating in our God assignments in partnership with God. Amen. There was a statue in the Second World War in Strasbourg that this church was bombed. And uh, when they cleared away the rubble, they found the statue of Jesus. And uh, the, the damage that had been done to it was that its hands had been broken off. And so they reset the statue of Jesus. They rebuilt the synagogue, or sorry, the church. And then people would come visit, and a great sculptor came, and he said, I, I, will, I will sculpt new hands onto the statue for you. And this was their response. Our broken statue touches the spirit of men, but that he has no hands to minister to the needy or feed the hungry or enrich the poor except our hands is okay. He inspires we perform. Wow. See, you're the hands of God. You're the feet. You're the voice. You've been given a metron, a realm of influence, church. Exercise it. Exercise it with God. Here's the last thought. Operating God's method of authority in our life allows us to draw upon his realm of authority. I got to love that. When we start exercising faith in our realm and living our lives in such a way that we exercise that authority for the good of man, for the service of others, we begin to tap into Christ. Because how many of you know life is hard? <laughs> life is hard, if you haven't figured that out. But you are not alone. You're not alone. And so the stretching moment for us is to move into a place where we say, I'm going to trust you, God, with building this new church. I'm going to trust you as I walk through this disease. I'm going to trust you, God, as my kids are rebelling. I'm going to trust you, God, not my kids, but uh, you understand. You get to move into God's. Metron, which is good. How do we do that? We confess and we move forward. It's okay to be honest with God, guys. It's okay to say, I'm freaking out right now. I'm freaking out when I look at building this new church, Lord, and how are we going to pay for this? I, I'm freaking out a bit, but God, I'm trusting you, and we're moving forward. We're moving forward. We're moving forward, God. you got to meet us. It's bigger than us, God. The key is, will you take his hand in that moment? Let me close with this story. I'm going to invite the band to come up. In the 19th century, there was troubled times in the German Confederation. There was great uh, sounds of uh, rumors of revolution had begun 
and uh, the, you know, the government began to move into panic, and they, ban they began to conscript young men into war to move to the lines because they thought there was going to be a war that was about to break out. And one of the great churches in, in the church is, um, in one of the villages there, had this beautiful stained glass pipe organ. It was incredible. This organ was, was famous all throughout the region for its tone, for its sound. The beautiful richness would flow in the valley into the place where all the people lived. And uh, one day the caretaker was there and he was cleaning, uh, just cleaning the, the church. And uh, there's a knock on the door of the church. And he goes there and there's a young soldier, about 20 years old, with his, kind of his hat in his hand. And he says, I'm wondering if I could have an hour to play on the organ. I've walked a long distance. I've got a 24-hour pass. I'm about to be sent to the front lines, and I just wanted to come. I've heard this organ is famous in this region, and I wanted to come and play. And of course, the caretaker's like, who are you? Only our organist plays our world famous, our region famous organ. I can't do it. And the young man pleaded with him. He says, listen, I've only got 24 hours. I don't know if I'm going to be coming back, and I would just like an opportunity to play this organ. Would you please let me do it? So the caretaker looks around and he looks at the young man and he makes a decision and takes the key from his pocket. He puts it in his hands. The young man walks over to the organ and unlocks it, puts the key away, and begins to play. And instantly, the caretaker is like, who is this young man? And the, the sound that comes out of this organ has never been heard before. It begins to wash over the church and the, the doors of the church are open and, and the, the music begins to spill into the valley and then the townspeople hear this incredible music. And for one hour, the man is just there and he's playing and he's playing and he's playing and he's playing and he looks up and the whole church is filled with people. And they stand and they begin to applaud. And he sheepishly lowers his head, he closes the organ, locks it, makes his way down the aisle to everybody that's congratulating him and thanking him for playing. When he comes to the caretaker, he hands him the key and he says, the organ is locked. Here is the key. The caretaker asks him his name at that moment. And he says, my name is Felix. Felix Mendelssohn. And the caretaker realizes at that moment that Mendelssohn at that time, even at 20 years old, was one of the most renowned organists in all of Europe. And this startling thought comes to him. The master was in my presence and I almost didn't give him the key. And that's our lives, church. You're in partnership with God. And God is going to call you at times to step into a realm of faith that is bigger than you. And he's saying, will you trust me? Will you give me the key? I want to be a church filled with people who said, Lord, here's the key. I don't want to miss my moment with the master. I want to partner with him. Let's pray.